Hello and welcome to Afroqueer. I'm your host, Sally Chung. For LGBT people, family can be the source of immense love and intense pain. We all have our stories of family acceptance, rejection, and that murky don't ask, don't tell in between. Over the next few weeks, we're going to share two stories that tell different ways that families have responded to queer family members. And to get us started, on today's episode, Rachel Wamoto is in the studio with me. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Sally. Rachel also runs our social media at Afroqueer. Last month, Rachel and I traveled to Botswana to do a story for Afroqueer's documentary series, What's Your Queer African Story?, which you can watch on our Instagram at Afroqueer Podcast. And while Sally and I were shooting the series on location in Botswana, we met Seporiki Hositao. Yeah, you made it. I did. Oh, finally. <laughs> Seppo is a powerhouse of a person. She's a tireless activist for LGBT rights across Africa. She was a 2016 Mandela Washington Fellow and was named Role Model of the Year from the Other Foundation. And in 2017, Seppo won a four-year court case to become the first trans woman in Botswana to be able to change her gender from male to female on her identification documents. After her win, she said the court victory was not only for her, but for every single trans-diverse person in Botswana. Tsepo is a trailblazer, and we wanted to know what her journey was to becoming the woman that she is today. We're going to start Tsepo's story. One summer holiday, back in 2004, when she was 16. I was watching Oprah with my older brother, Tebuho. Hi, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey. And then there's this little boy. Apparently, he had been female assigned at birth. Kayla immediately told her mom she believed she was a boy born in a girl's body. The parents had now listened to him at like the tender age of like six, seven, already having told them that he was a boy. And then they really now started raising him according to how he identified. As soon as the segment ended, Tsepo's older brother, Teboho, looked at her. So he turns and looks at me and he's like, that's you, right? And then I looked at him and I looked at the CV and I was just like, wow. Seppo was assigned male at birth, which means that when she was born, her sex was declared male. Her mother named her Tsepo. So Tsepo means trust, it means hope, it means belief. She grew up in a small town in Botswana called Good Hope. It's a little village town. Folk had quite a lot of sheep, cow, goat. Tsepo's mom was really young when she had her. So she grew up with her grandparents, aunts and uncles, while her mother worked in Hawarone to provide for her. In good hope, she was raised alongside her older brother, Teboho. So he always had my back, like all the time. And I learned to, to trust him. When she was three years old, her mom remarried. Poof, out of nowhere, she comes with this man and I relocate to come and live with them. I had a dad. This man had treated me very well. Until the point where my younger brother was born and then things started going down south from then. There was a very clear 
distinction between how he treated my brother and how he treated me. Um, physically abusive on me, um, very emotionally abusive as well, which became very, very painful because then I didn't understand why my father hated me. He, I think, picked up that there was some queerness about me. From as early as Seppo could remember, she knew she was a girl. And then comes this experience of being put in a suit with a tie, and I just hated every single symbolism of what that suit meant. But at home, Seppo's mom let her be whoever she wanted to be. I was always just allowed room to just be myself. She taught me that you are even your own best, best friend. Um, because she said to me, other people will not get you the way that you get yourself. And you need to be able to help them get to understand you. And she, with that, taught me to be very vocal. Her mom eventually left her husband, and that deepened her relationship with Seppo. Seppo began to confide in her mother. I started talking to my mom about my interest in boys in the latter part of my junior high school. I didn't have a cell phone, and there was a particular boy I was talking to, so I would have to speak to him on my mom's phone. So she found texts at some point. Um, embarrassing. And then she's like, I saw something. And she wasn't, like, reprimanding or anything. She didn't even want to, like, know what is this. Uh -uh. I saw something. You're talking to some boy. So do you know what would happen if you and him want to do progress and do certain things and that is how she was putting it and I was like uh, I actually don't there's got a lot of things that I think made my mom much more conversant about sexuality um, she had now grown into her own self as well because she got married very very young so by the time she got divorced, she was in her latter 20s. She was also exploring her sexuality, which I think in that way also carved this ability for her to just want to really have candid conversations about sexuality, about consent, about pleasure, and about dating, and about love. Okay. Back to that day in front of the TV watching Oprah. So I know a lot of mothers are watching us, and as a mother, can you imagine what that discussion would be like? Even though Tsepo had grown up with this close-knit family and a really cool mom, at 16 years old, she was still confused about how she felt and how people saw her. They are called, there's a name for it, transgenders. That light bulb moment or Oprah's aha moment, that's where it happened. Being able to have a word for it was amazing. So it's possible to actually get to be in the body that really reflects you the way you see yourself. Because I had had very serious dysphoria when I was growing up. There are two attempts where I literally nearly mutilated myself and my mom caught me. So 
in that time, I now learned that, no, you don't have to go and just brutalize yourself. There's a surgery that can be done to be able to help you to actually get the body of a girl like you want to be in. Sepo now knew about gender-affirming surgery, a procedure that changes one's physical body to conform to their gender identity. That time, I was hell-bent on that I wanted to be a medical doctor. So my mom had gotten me these medical journals. It had a chapter on mental disorders. So there was one called transgenderism, and then there was also gender dysphoria, and that's where I learned about transsexualism, and then I learned about sex reassignment surgery. So I bookmarked them for my mom, and then I gave it to my mom. She opened, read, and read, and I'm standing next to her just overlooking to see that she's actually reading these chapters. And then she closed and then put them aside and then continued watching TV. And then she looks at me, she's like, okay, we've always known. And she says, and I'm like, but what do you mean? You can't just say you've always known. We didn't know this. And now that we know it, what are you saying? Because I'm telling you that there's something I can be able to do in order to be able to live in a body that for me, I'll be happy to be in. And my mom now said to me, she's like, look, this, we have to find out if it can be done in Botswana. We don't know. They learned that South Africa is one of the few African countries that provides the surgery. My mom was like, look, you're going to have to finish high school first because I'm not break- making you break school in order for you to just run for the surgery. You can be able to do it later on. So that's how then Joburg became the destination for me. Sepo was accepted into a South African university. In her first year, she began her hormone therapy. So I started seeing that change and it just looked amazing to look at myself in the mirror. Because growing up, I hated mirrors, particularly anywhere from my chest down. I would not want to see it on any um, reflection. So this was now a different phase of my life where I enjoyed looking at myself or looking at my body more than anything. I now started being able to even use the word sexy to describe my body. And even a change to my own wardrobe and my style. I got myself my first pair of heels, um, buying them for myself with my student allowance and then getting dresses for the first time. So there was now this new found sort of love for my body um, and a feel of my dysphoria really get lowered. At university, Tsepo shined. She was on the student council, she was in the choir, the debate club. She had loads of friends, but she also wanted to start dating. As a girl who happened to have been male assigned um, anatomically, it really made dating very difficult. It wasn't easy to be able to get a reciprocation of my liking for, for another person because of the fact that then my body was something that was totally different to many other girls. So it was always difficult to now having to have that conversation with Mostly the men that I've dated have been heterosexual men, cisgender heterosexual men. So it was always a major challenge to having to sit down with somebody and having to explain. It is in that time that I had to also learn the language, affirming language for myself, that I learned how to 
tell my narrative to another person. But there's this thing about me that even my family continue to say, and I think they, they are the ones who drilled it in me, that you have to be confident because the world is just going to want to bring you down. You know yourself better. Nobody knows you more than you know yourself. Not even I, your mother, know you better than yourself. After university at 24, Tsepo moved back to Botswana. As a recent graduate, she wanted to apply for a job, but she had lost a national ID card and could not apply for work without it. She had to replace it. The problem was that Tsepo was still listed as male. She figured she'd replace the ID and then work on changing her gender markers later. So when I met with the person who was helping me at the front desk, so she's like, are you aware that it says you're male here, but you're a girl? And I was like, yes, I am. So what's happening? I was like, oh, it's my goodness. That is something that I'll get fixed at some point. Um, for now, I just need a replacement of the one as it is that I lost. So as she comes back, she says to me, um, ma'am, I, can I ask you just for you to come in into the office because then our registrar would like to talk to you. So I went and then I saw the registrar at the time, it was a man called Mr. Disang. And Mr. Disang said to me, we have a problem. A gender marker is the male M or female F on a birth certificate, ID or passport that shows someone's designated sex at birth. Botswana did not allow people to legally change the gender markers on their IDs. I want to get a job, I'm back home. I can't just be sitting and doing nothing. So in that time now, I'm thinking a court order, simple, simple things that can be done. Tsepo got a lawyer and quickly realized that getting a court order would not be simple. We ultimately realized it was going to be a major battle um, because there wasn't any, there's no, still no gender recognition policy in the country. Clearly this is not going to be a walk in the park. So I come 2012, and then my case is now delayed. This is like maybe three, four years? Yeah. All being in court and out of court. And out of court. So how, 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 what, what was the reaction at home, not even there? Like, what was the reaction? It, it was hectic. I mean, my family walked the journey with me throughout. My mom was me with me all through the court appearances that we had stemming from 2015, 16, 17. I don't think that any other person who doesn't have the kind of social cushioning that I have happened to have with a supportive mother, a family that is that has my back, and to also have the kind of, I guess, resilience of mentally mentality and resilience of emotion. I don't think many people could be able to stand for this. During this time, a big thing happened in Seppo's life. In 2016, she went with her mom, her aunt, and her best friend to Thailand, where she underwent gender-affirming surgery. The same surgery that she had wanted since she was 16 years old. So this day has arrived finally. And I don't know, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's crazy. Something that I've wanted for my whole entire life is happening. Um, 
really just appreciating that this moment has come and that I've worked so much to and so hard to actually have it happening. When she got home from Thailand, her family welcomed her. My family did this very unusual traditional ceremony, which was a welcome ceremony for me. I was honored uh, to be one of the people that accompanied her to Thailand. You know, it was such a great experience for me. It was such an honor. I would also like to thank her family for so much support. They decided that they wanted to celebrate my coming of my full womanhood um, and coming of age and making them proud. A lot of their neighbors were invited, people they work with, my aunts and my uncles, my cousins. They invited their friends, they invited colleagues, they invited churchmates. So there was a really huge thing about celebrating the fact that Tepo had gone to Thailand, the surgery was successful. She also got engaged, but her fiance Tony needed a visa to travel to Botswana so they could get married with all of Tsepo's family around. It took forever for government to actually respond to that application up until it resulted in them denying him a visa to enter the country without reason, which we suspect on strong conviction that it was premised on the fact that my ID, my sex marker had not been amended and government was avoiding to seemingly be opening um, the doorway for gay marriages. So they literally wanted to make sure that then by the time I got to get married to Tony, my sex marker had been amended. And that because the case was still pending at that point. And my family was struggling even at the time of preparing for my wedding because then as we were solidifying all these traditional ceremonies that were to happen, that major concern was Will government not send police in our house to come and stop your wedding if we continue with it before your sex marker has been amended? Do you think that your wedding was a political statement as well? Absolutely. My wedding to Tony, our wedding was a political statement because it was one that, and not just on him and I's part alone, even on my family's side, my family was adamant I mean, that's why they did the welcome ceremony for me, which is something that has never been done. It is why they negotiated my wedding as a whole entire clan of, of our family, because it was about putting out a statement out there, making a mark, um, showcasing the possibilities of what acceptance, love, and in inclusion looks like, or full integration of um, a trans child in a family, how love in and of itself can culminate in something very beautiful. And that marriage in and of itself is something that is sacred, not just between two people, but between families as well. So it was a very big political statement because it was about just also showing every single other trans person out there that it's possible. Finally, Tsepo got good news from the court. I remember the date, it was the 12th of December specifically, like three days before my wedding. My judgment was then successful and being granted by the court. Take you, take you, to be my husband, to be my husband, to have and to hold, to have and to hold, in sickness and health, in sickness and in health, I promise this. It's something that 
for me, many of us as trans persons, particularly black African trans persons, don't imagine will come and happen. It'll forever hold very significant memory of various stages and phases of my being affirmed and integrated and being included by my, not only my family, but other Botswana as well. This episode was reported by Rachel Wamoto and me, Sally Chum. Produced by me, Sally Chum, Ida Halinambi, and Mae Francis. Sound design by Tevin Sudi. Rachel Wamoto is Afroqueer's social media manager. Afroqueer is a production of None on Record and supported by Hivos, The Dune Foundation, Google, and PRX. Our theme song is Power by Maya and the Big Sky. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Follow Afroqueer Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, www.afroqueerpodcast.com. I'm Sally Chum. Thanks for listening. Bawani ile.